Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. There is a lot going on in the NBA right now. Yes, I know there are no games, but between the NBA draft and the early trades and the pending free agency and everything else that happens in July, it's a lot to navigate, and I'm thrilled that Keith Smith of Track wanted to come on to help with that, especially with the new CBA kicking in. And so we go through all of that. It's a lot of ground to cover. The big trades, Beal, Porzingis, Paul for Pool, and everything that happened on draft night, and some of the context, what, why we've identified certain things, the new collective bargaining agreement that have triggered some of those decisions that these front offices are making. And part of why I love this podcast episode specifically, but also something I try to do with Real GM is it's not only about what happened, but why it happened. And so I really love this episode. I hope you enjoy it too. It's brought to you by FanDuel. Go to fantool.com slash Boston, and you can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000, which is pretty cool. And Keith and I talked for well over an hour. I think it's about an hour 10, something in that range. And we, as I said, we cover a lot of ground. There are some topics that I just had to leave because we could have spent longer on it. But that's the way these things go. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is an extremely fun time of year for for those of us who love the draft, but also think about transactions. And especially this window now between the end of the finals and the draft itself has gotten significantly spicier in recent vintage. And so I wanted to open it to you. There's a lot going on. And I think I know what the, I have a guess on what it's going to be. But what what has stuck out to you during this, you know, week window, let's call it since the end of the finals and including the draft? I, I think kind of on a macro level, it's how many big names have already been moved. Yeah. Like that, that part just is, it just feels still crazy. And I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Cause it's usually saved for you know the day before the draft draft day. And then maybe every once in a while we get a trade where it's one of those, it has to get done in this league year kind of thing. But we've already had, you know, multiple mega trades. And it was kind of funny because I saw a lot of people like, it was a boring draft. No, not much happened. There wasn't a lot of trades. I was like, yeah, because we had three monster ones in the days leading up to it. Like, you know, we uh, I try to always remember to factor those in a little bit uh, with that. But, yeah, I mean, teams are just – 
I, I think we've got the new, you know, CBA coming in and those rules and you're trying to see teams are some are trying to get ahead of it some ways. Others are trying to basically get ahead of it in, I think, unintended ways. But yeah, it's been crazy the amount of um, you know, major names that have already been traded. Absolutely. And I think that's a big part of the story for me. And you you brought it up, but it bears further emphasis that the new collective bargaining agreement, this being one of the transition years, there will be another swing with this next year because of some of the additional restrictions that are kicking in. There was a lot of motivation for certain teams to get these deals signed, sealed, and delivered before the league year turns over because the matching rules get tighter and everything else. And so you had that. But also, I think one of the parts of this that I found so compelling on along those same notes is like the 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 convoluted ticking clocks in specific situations as well. And so one of those was the salary matching for Bradley Beal, of course. Mm-hmm. And then another one also involving the Wizards was the option decision for Kristaps Porzingis. Because as you noted on Twitter at the time, like they could have pushed it back. But generally speaking, that's really that's it's hard to do, but also like you kind of sometimes having a deadline makes you work better. Yep. And so it led to this remarkable swing where we had heard rumors for a couple days that Porzingis was considering opting in. Unfortunately for him, his market seems softer than his play would warrant. But you then it becomes, okay, well, maybe he's going to opt in, get traded somewhere else and get extended. And then it becomes Boston and then it becomes not Boston. And then, I mean, Nate asked me because we recorded, it was hilarious, we, you know, with the option decision, broadly speaking, midnight Eastern, we finished our recording at 1115 <laughs> yeah. Eastern and, and he ended it with like, do you think Christoph Porzingis is going to be Celtic? And I said, yes, because generally the most important piece, if that gets kind of done, then the other things will, you'll figure out a way to sort those out. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it was one of those where I was in the same boat, right? I was, you know, here here on the East Coast, it's getting later and later, and I'm getting people out, you know, is this going to happen? You know, does it all fall apart? And that's why I was like, well, they, they can push it back. But I, I always go with that. I think it's Andrew Brandt covers the, the NFL, worked for the Packers. He's fond of uh, tweeting deadline spur action, right? And that's exactly what we saw. I, I was, you know, much like the player himself, and I think everybody else, completely blindsided when it got reworked and it was Marcus Smart. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I don't think anyone, you know, thought that was the way it was going to go. What's interesting to me is, and, and I have no reporting on this, and I'm just kind of, you know, speculating here, with how quickly that happened in, in, in NBA terms, right, you don't generally pivot to that big of a swing very quickly. It makes me wonder if something else was maybe it had already been discussed or in the works and it was, hey, this original trade isn't going to work. Can we fold this into this deal and, and get it done that way? But, yeah, it's a really fascinating deal because, you know, Washington through the Beal trade, through then the Chris Paul, Jordan Poole swap and this trade and their draft uh, moves that they're clearly, you know, as much as you can kind of tearing it down to the studs and fully starting over, which I, I support for where they've been. They've been stuck in the middle for way too long. And then, you know, for the Celtics, it's, it's, we're going to find out this is an extreme test for me of 
kind of the the a philosophy of team building over you know do they i'm not super huge on the culture stuff i I think jeff weltman of the magic always said it well of you know show you know culture gets overused because show me a bad team where everybody raves about their culture you know it's generally if you win you have good culture but i do wonder you know marcus smart's been such a you know framework of everything the celtics have been over the last nine years and what they you know through various iterations and all those things never missed the playoffs in in his you know career you know except for that i think that first year maybe um but anyway it was like we're, we're in a spot where are we gonna see what does that do because on its face chris Stapps porzingis is a better basketball player he, he just you know just is i know there's a lot of celtics fans that are very emotional right now and don't necessarily believe that but he's coming off a all-star level year uh you you could have made a case if his team was better he could have even been an all nba mix he, he was that good last season and he's a very, obviously a very different player from smart boston has guard depth so they traded out of a strength to fill a weakness but it, it's going to be very interesting to watch how that plays out just because of those dynamics that are as much off the court as they are on the court absolutely and it's you know the bet on talent it's it, they're gonna have to make some big scheme changes and it's so interesting to me and striking that a former head coach made a decision like this that changes the way the team he used to coach plays so much because the Celtics did run more drop last year than they have previously mm-hmm. and you know when you have Robert Williams and you have some of the other pieces in place and I mean they can do it it's just part of part of what made the Celtics so fascinating and fun is that they had scheme versatility versatility doesn't mean you have to do the same thing all the time it just means you can go to what you want and Christoph Porzingis is a very good basketball player and he um what he could theoretically open up offensively also as being a both in the long term a an alternate path for Al Horford and an upgrade. You know, Porzingis last year was significantly better overall than Horford, even if Horford had some nice moments. And so you do that, but then you, you know, you change the guard line. And I thought a lot about the conversation I had with Jared Weiss when the Celtics acquired Derek White, which was this idea of like, did they, did they do it to create some optionality with Marcus Smart? And we both said, like, we're not sure. We'll have to see where things go. I don't think that's what happened here. I think it was more the opportunity presented itself and you did it. But having Derek White made it more palatable to move Marcus Smart because even though they're not the same player, they're similar enough that even though having two of them was great, well, now you added a good player who could do something else and maybe you can make that work. Yeah, I completely agree with with that. I think there was... This is almost seems like you know, there had been a lot of consternation around why is Derek White not closing games in the regular season in the playoffs because I, I think there was a sense of you know Marcus Smart has done a million Marcus Smart things over the years at the end of games that have helped us win and occasionally it's helped us lose you know for the Celtics side of it but it's been a sense of you know we can't pull him off the floor there there always felt like there was that feeling from the team now I think what you've done is you know for lack of a better term it's 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 I like to think of it like the the money ball. You can't start Pena. Why? Because he's not on the team anymore. Um, thing we traded him, and I think that kind of almost becomes the the piece here, right? It's take hey, Joe. You can't close with Smart anymore. You got to close with White. Oh, why not? Well, Smart's not on the team anymore. 
I think the Porzingis part of it, not only to 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 add to your point of being a very good player, I think there was the idea of let's get a little more versatile in the offense. Let's not be so um, – it's either a lob to Rob from the bigs or it's Al Horford spotting up. You could do a lot of different things with Porzingis um, there. He's also – I thought last year was one of his best years of, oh, I have a small on me. Let me go take him inside and not – it felt like he always used to be, I have a small, I need to try to get all the way to the rim. It felt like last year was the first time he was like, oh, I can get to 10 feet and just turn and shoot over him. Like, I don't have to be all the way to the basket anymore and try to plow through guys and turnovers and offensive fouls and everything else. I also think there's a their piece to this of Horford didn't play back-to-backs last year. I would imagine that continues. I think they want to knock his minutes per game down under 30. He was up over 30. I also think you know, with Rob Williams, you, you never know. Is he going to be on the floor? Is he not going to be available? Now with those three guys, I think you feel like all right, one of the three will be available. And if the other two happen to be out for any reason, we can kind of get by with we'll, we'll muddle through and figure it out with you know, Luke Cornett or or, you know, maybe they bring Blake Griffin back and we'll sort through that you know, if we have to. But for the most part, you had to get another third big in there that felt better than, you know, Grant Williams was, which is I look at this kind of as you traded, assuming Grant Williams leaves, and we don't know that yet, but you kind of traded Grant Williams and Marcus Smart for Chris Sapps, Porzingis, and in a way, Peyton Pritchard, because he's now maybe back in the fold where it looked like he was definitely going to be gone. And especially if Malcolm Brogg and we'll find out more about what's going on with this injury. If that's going to cost him any time, then I think you have to keep Pritchard uh, to play behind White. So so you, if you kind of boil it down to that sim- simple part of it, that to me feels like, okay, that's that's not bad for the Celtics. And then you got everything else they did with trading the pick. I mean, you know, to to as a you know Boston sports guy, uh, Brad Stevens looked down the road at Bill Belichick and pulled a Belichick and traded back and traded back and traded back and then did it a fourth time and picked up an additional pick each time, which was, you know, kind of really fun and interesting draft arbitrage. It was. And the Celtics are I well actually before we get to that, I wanna I want to go back to a point you made about Marcus Smart. And I think this is completely correct. And it's it's the the elements of this that we don't get to see, but we can infer by context, which is general managers have a lot of conversations. You know, like especially in this time, and they could have been in certain cases over the course of the last few months. You know, like Brad Stevens could have been talking with Kleiman and everything else. And I would presume that at some point there was a discussion that the Memphis Grizzlies were interested in solving their Dylan Brooks hole, which self created in the sense that you know the under any circumstances thing that came out earlier, and that seems a lot more likely now, though it seemed plenty clear before, and so. You have those conversations kind of in your mental back pocket, and you say, oh, well, they're interested in this, and then and then part of what the Celtics front office is doing, not only Stevens, but everyone else, everyone involved, is you have these pieces to potentially solve problems. And so Brogdon was the more logical salary ballast, except that the Wizards weren't interested because mm-hmm. of the Celtics' salary structures and everything else. And so then they you know, were able to fold in this other element, and my instinct would be, that the terms were probably closer to what Memphis might have initially proposed this, and the Celtics may have turned it down, but then they were, you know, it was close enough to acceptable, they were ruminating on it, or maybe they wanted to see where other things went, and they they ended up making that decision. And so that's the way these negotiations happen sometimes. You're having these preliminary conversations with the whole league because that's your job. 
And then eventually, maybe it bears fruit. And sometimes it bears fruit years later. Like, hey, General Manager X called about young prospect Y. Like, Peyton Pritchard could be an interesting guy here. You're not trading him then, but then a year or two later, you're in a different boat. And one of the first people who call is the person who called you about that guy in the first place. And so that's yep. the kind of way this probably happened. I, I always think I, I you know learned this through the years covering the league and talking to folks in front offices. One of the things they all do is when – and it's getting to be less now. Teams are getting far more secretive about draft workouts. But when it used to be everyone posted their draft workout information, every front office had somebody who kept track of that for every draft class because it was, hey, there was at least some level of interest. And then you kind of kept almost tabs on like, all right, we talked to them about this guy uh, there. And then that way you can always go back back to that team and say, hey, I remember you had interest in him at the draft. Are you interested now still? You know, do, do, do you want to maybe make a move or something down the, along those lines? So, yeah, I, I, it's, I, I think even when we get reporting of this deal came together quickly, there's always some element of it, it did, but there's always some prior conversation. It's, you know, it, it's one of those things where you know, we hear about these all the time. It, it got close at the trade deadline, but there was some complication that couldn't make the deal happen. And then they moved into the off season. And now, you know, lo and behold, you know, you get the extra roster spots or there's cap space available or whatever it is. And now that same kind of deal involving those same players can happen. Um, we hear that a lot. So I do wonder, you know, my guess is if we could get all the way in all the details, we'd find out Boston and Memphis had talked Marcus Smart trades multiple times, you know, probably over the last uh, you know year plus, probably since they got Derek White, to be honest. I wouldn't be surprised if the Grizzlies were hey, what are you thinking on Marcus Smart? Because that, that's just kind of how it goes with teams. It's You see a surplus and you go after it. So I, I, I do think it's an interesting trade from that respect of, you know, how they pivoted into, into what it ultimately became. I could get in, I mean, this trade, you know, Nate, I did a whole pod on it. I could get <laughs> into the, the Grizzlies part of it, but I want to move on into a yeah. parallel thread, which is the way that some of these teams are responding to the new collective bargaining agreement. And the centerpiece of that is the Phoenix Suns. And there are going to be all these restrictions on teams, some of them financial, but some of them from a team building perspective. You don't have, if you're over the second apron, you don't have the taxpayer mid-level, which also got weaker in the new CBA. You can't sign certain buyout guys and everything else. And so the, let's call it the core intention of that from the owners and players was to not only reduce the number of teams that fit that description, but also make those teams worse. Because this isn't just they made them more expensive. They did that too, but it's also these other things. And the way that the Suns responded, and to an extent the Celtics, because the Celtics, it's more likely now that they pay that they go to the second apron. It's not definite. There's a lot of ways this can work. But especially if Porzingis gets an extension, which we all expect. But it also, in the especially in the nearest of terms, could have this effect where Phoenix, where just like, well, if that's what you're going to do, then screw it. We're going to go hard over because that's the only way that we can have this flexibility moving forward. And so for the Suns, it's like, well, if you, it's going to be hard for us to add talent later. Well, let's add a bunch of talent now and let's convince Bradley Beal to want to come here enough that we can get him to waive his no trade clause. And they didn't have to give up a ton to make it happen. 
Yeah, spot on. I've been saying the CBA felt like the phase-in of these penalties was intended to be, hey, we're going to give you a year to get everything in order, right? If you need to shed salary, if you need to get off your money, whatever it is, we're going to give you this year. There's no amnesty clause, but you know, figure out a way to start trading guys and and all those things. And to to your point, I think the Sun said, uh, that's cool and all, but (laughs) this is our last opportunity to go do something like this we need to make it happen right now and that that's you know why this beal trade is happening that's why this beal trade's gonna go down sometime in the next few days before the league league year changes over and you know that that'll all you know play out the way it did that's part of the Porzingis's deadline drove things in the other trade but that's also part of that one was all right let's try to get this done now just to make it a little easier uh to 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 do it under the current rules so it is very fascinating how you build these rules where it feels like this intention is all right we're gonna have to you know do x y and z to get in line and teams then you know interpret it and say okay but we're gonna go the other way i think you know one of the major unintended consequences of this new CBA is going to be, I think you're going to see teams re-sign players to bigger contracts than they might have otherwise. You know, I think about walking like, trade exceptions. Yep. That's exactly it, man. Yep. You're spot on it. Yeah. Look at the Phoenix Suns. Like you give Tory Craig, right? What, what should he get? Probably seven, eight million, maybe. If you gave him 10, that's not so far over what his thing is that he becomes, you know, oh, my God, what a negative trade asset. So you give him that. Jock Landale, backup center, you know, probably a minimum guy. All right, maybe you give him $5 million, you know, using his early bird rights. Not not so far over that it gets crazy as long as you keep him into your know, one- or two-year type deals. And that's what I think you're going to see. And then because you, you, you do that and you have one one more year this year of being able to uh, pile together salaries, even if the uh, percentage match is, is different from the 125 down to the 110, but you can still aggregate. This is your last chance. So I think that's what you're going to see a team like the Suns do with some of these guys. It, it could even come into play with the Celtics and a guy like Grant Williams, where it's, if everybody agrees, yeah, fair value for Grant is I'm making it up of 15 million. They may say, let's go to 20 just because, you know, still tradable. We feel pretty good about it. And we can maybe move him down the line. I I think you've got a lot of really kind of fun stuff that could happen in that way. And that's, um, you know, things I don't know that everybody's necessarily prepared for. And I think there's going to be some contracts that are like, whoa, wait, what, why? And then, you know, guys like you and I are going to come in on the backside and be like, all right, I think this is probably why. And then hopefully that'll start to make a little more sense. Potentially. And I'm not saying definitely the early poster child for that could be Eric Gordon. And if Eric Gordon, as much as I enjoy him, not worth $20 million, but not at this point, if the Clippers want that salary ballast and see Ballmer's willing to pay it, which seems pretty confident that he is, then you you pick up that option and you you make it work from there and it could be you know eventually i mean it, and and because he's non-guaranteed you can't really do the sign and trade all like there's some and also they're they're changing those benefits eventually mm-hmm. but you know having that salary in season and we nearly saw something like that happen for the for the clippers for this year you know with the Morris and Morris structure for Brogdon and i, I wouldn't surprise me if something happens in the future mm-hmm. involving them and so it is a between that and like Chris Paul's contract getting more guaranteed and then eventually fully guaranteed in order to facilitate trades. It is a redistribution 
of money in a kind of counterintuitive way. Yes. Where these, you know, you're going to see players get significantly higher returns that aren't necessarily merit-based. And it might be far larger sums of money. Like, you know, there was the last year, Danilo Gallinari got a significant amount of his contract guaranteed in order to facilitate the DeJounte Murray trade. Yep. And, you know, and then he eventually signed with the Celtics and now he's on the Wizards and we'll see where that goes. But whether that is, you know, so from for the player's perspective, if you're thinking about this from the PA side, from the player association side, you know, it's like it's more money and the salary floor is another huge benefit here to the players overall. But it isn't it is a benefit that is not being shared overall. It is a very specific one that in some ways the benefits will be somewhat random, though it's, you know, what team you're on, situational, what level of bird rights do they have? And there will be a corollary. I think this is I think we're two or three years down the road from it. You brought up Grant Williams. I think the ones where this could be really wild are former second round picks that have that get to their third year and or or maybe even their fourth and thus have full bird rights. Yeah. In a circumstance where, you know, so the team hasn't paid them much money before and but they have this super low cap hold, which you could use as a cap space team, or, you know, you could just you have full bird rights and you're an over the cap team and you create a walking trade exception. And and because you're giving a balloon payment, you can do in a way what the Orlando Magic did last year for a different purpose, eh, sort of a different purpose, which is you do the one year and then a second non-guaranteed or team option year. You usually do it non-guaranteed to prevent a veto possibility, mm-hmm. which also you can sign away now, by the way, which is another yeah, wrinkle. Yeah. Um, and so you you set those things up. And so there will be, you know, you, you create those sets of financial flexibility. And another place to put a pin in it, I will give – my podcast partner, Nate Duncan, a lot of credit for this. He identified this as a part of the Chris Paul trade very early. I did not. Where, because I was like, oh, I, I think Chris Paul's a bad fit with the Warriors and all, the, all those sorts of things. And he's like, yeah, but it, it's similar maybe to the D'Angelo Russell situation where if you want to make a subsequent move, it's actually easier to do with an expiring or functionally expiring contract than it is with Jordan Poole because when it's an expiring contract, even if another team doesn't love Chris Paul individually, maybe they do, maybe they don't. You you don't have to sell them on the future years of this. Whereas with Jordan Poole, it's a much bigger decision for the organization. And maybe some teams are in, maybe some teams are out. And a lot of times when you're making a move for another purpose, maybe that's you're bringing another guy, you want to simplify the decision making for your trade partner. Because if it's, oh, we have to also evaluate and maybe similarly evaluate this other player, well, that's another way that a deal can fall apart. But if it's, we only need to figure out the compensation and the matching salary. It's a lot easier. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I and that's a great call. You know, on the Chris Paul, it's the the preservation of the salary slot, right? You, you're in a spot where you're feeling like, all right, we're the, the player matters here, but the contract matters just as much, and we'll we'll sort through this. I, I think we're going back almost to where we were. Gosh, it feels like probably somewhere between seven and ten years ago where most summers, most of the league is going to be capped out. And then it's going to be in their expiring contracts, go back to having a good amount of value. Uh, you know, there was a period of time where, you know, an extra big expiring contract felt like it was almost as good as a, you know, 
tenth man in your rotation. Because Shout out Eric Dampier. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, Theo Ratliff too, right back in the day. Whereas uh, you know Theo Ratliff's expiring contract like became felt like his legal name. Um, it, we're in a spot where it is that those things are now more valuable because you can you you can offer all sorts of flexibility in other ways to teams. And then if you're a team like the Warriors or the Clippers, where the 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 second apron and large tax bills haven't really proven to be all that big of a burden. And you feel like, yeah, we can can blow right through and keep paying. Don't you know being able to do that, you're not no longer going to be able to add two, three, four guys in a trade to go take in a bunch of money. But yeah, if you've got somebody sitting there at 30 million, you can be in play on you know all sorts of players you might not have been otherwise. I think you know for me, this is I know this is one of your favorites is years, not dollars. That's going to become huge, right? Is is you know if it's one or two years, the dollars almost kind of don't matter. You know, for a lot of teams, it's going to be more about all right. You know, is it it does it turn into a Bradley Beal contract where it's all right? It's it's the third and fourth and you know in some cases fifth year that that that's what gets scary. If it's only you know one year or maybe two years, that becomes a lot more palatable and movable for for a various amount of teams. So yeah, I, I'm. Um, that combined with the uh, amount of players now who extend their contracts, trades are just going to be the way forward. Free agency is going to be, yeah, there'll be one or two guys every year that kind of hit and it'll go and and we'll see. Maybe that changes when the cap you know goes up, but I think the cap smoothing will even that out enough that I don't know that that'll make that big of a difference. One thing I wanted to go back to very quickly because I thought you made a great point with the second round picks in their early bird rights or if you could get them all the way out to the full bird rights and all those things that comes into even more importance now with this new second round pick exception yes where you're, you're, yeah you're no longer having to dip into cap space or an exception or whatever it is uh to 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 sign those guys i think those are you know huge that you know you can use that now now you have the guy for you know especially if he pops you've got him for two three four years on a super friendly deal and then a lot of control at the end and a lot of different options you can go with uh with those guys so i think that's huge i think i thought it was a really good wrinkle too and i only discovered this just the other day as i was you know researching those second round pick exceptions they made it so they don't count against your salary cap space until July 31st. So if you're the Detroit Pistons and you have a ton of cap space and you want to sign one of those, you can sign the player, get him on your summer league roster. He can play knowing he has a contract and it doesn't eat into your salary cap space until July 31st. Then, which is that's pretty much by that point, you're we're basically done right yeah. but most of free agency is over the players are off the board the money's off the board so you should be should be fairly well set then it kicks in i thought that was a really smart and good wrinkle between that the, the first round cap holds counting at their max amount of the 120 which 99 percent of the guys signed for anyway it that feels like you know those changes have done really well to make sure teams can say hey we value summer league we want you out there we want to see you on the floor those changes were really smart too and that's a good wrinkle that they added along with that second round pick exception speaking of cba wrinkles another one that's important to emphasize and we're still wrapping our heads around the new cba in part because we don't have the actual text yet we just have the term sheet and (laughs) some other things that are out there is aggregation so in the new cba it doesn't kick in right away but it's harder i mean there are restrictions on the team that is deep into the tax combining players to 
trade for somebody or because you can't combine them to generate a trade exception but the problem is the the cba uses the term traded player exception for multiple different things yeah so it's i think of markar with south park where it's just like okay this is a problem because we use it one way in a lot of our writing but the league used it in two and that's why some of this stuff gets gets blurry but one of the things that they did it's very similar to what previous cbas had for sign-in trades which is the limitation is one direction, not the other. And so what this meant was for a long time, and I believe you you know this part far better than I do right now for the new CBA. It's the thing when you have a newborn. But so there are new rules in terms of eventually generating a trade exception for signing and trading a player out as a, as a team deeply over the tax. But what they did not restrict is aggregation going to the expensive team. And yes. so what that creates is this way more complicated and robust incentive to give these guys a lot of money because let's say you want to bring in a you 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 might want to bring in a 30 million dollar player but you might want to bring in two 15s well you can do that with a 30 million dollar guy you can't do it with a 20 and so it will lead to some circumstances where these expensive teams don't know what the plan is, but know what the money might take. And so it might lead to some of these guys just getting, you know, getting an extra five to 10 million in, 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 as a starting salary. And then, you know, you build contracts off that depending on how long they are because they want the flexibility to do it. Now, you don't want to go too high because then matching salary on the other end gets tough. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, the ability to aggregate on one side and not on the other is going to have a ton of unintended consequences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're kind of already seeing it now. Now, there's no no sense. I haven't seen any reporting that, you know, the, the Suns are, you know, in negotiations to, to uh, you know, move DeAndre. But one of the things that was talked about almost immediately on the heels of the Beal trade was, all right, you know, do you trade DeAndre? And, of course, some people went to, yeah, you know, who can you get for $40 million? You know, and I went to the better way, you know, when you, you're, I mean, it's funny, the longer this drags out, the more guys they keep getting back from the Wizards. It feels like every few days we add a new one. But it's when they only had five guys and six guys under contract, it felt like you, you know, as, as you looked at that trade, it was like, all right, well, the way forward is probably to take Aiden's 30 plus million and break them up into, like you said, two 15s or, you know, three tens or whatever it is just to build out your depth. And that's, I, I look at that. That's kind of what the Lakers did this past uh, trade deadline, right? They took Russ's contract at 40 plus million and they broke that up into like three, four players that came in and then played major roles for them uh, the rest of the season. So that I think those kind of things are going to become, you know, more important. You mentioned Eric Gordon. That's a great example of, you know, if the Clippers get down the line, like, man, we, we need more depth because you know, these guys are always hurt and injured or whatever. Yeah. You could break Eric Gordon up into a couple contracts and that has a ton of value for a team. I, again, not, you don't know anything here, but if Atlanta got to a point where they were like, yeah, we got to kind of you know rebalance here and consolidate a little and get, get some of this money off our books. They could do like a two for one where they send out to get back a guy like Gordon who makes a little bit more money and then he's off the books in a year and you're, you're moving forward that way. There's there's going to be a lot of fun stuff like that that comes together and I think sometimes for the more casual fans it's going to be a little harder to understand much like the Beal trade was painted for a lot of casual fans as far as what was this? You know, what, what, they got nothing back. You know, what happened? Like Bradley Beal's, like in their mind, Bradley Beal's good. He scores 25, 30 points per game. Like what is happening here? When in reality, 
reality, it's no, yeah, this makes a lot of sense for the Wizards, you know, to break this up and go go this direction. It does. And while we're on the Lakers front, I brought up Eric Gordon as a potential beneficiary beneficiary of this system. Potentially, depending on how interested Rob Polinka is at using cap space, Malik Beasley and Mo Bamba could be as well, because yep. that's another way that they can kind of add this salary. And we're also going to get some really important signals from teams a little bit earlier than we have at times of which approach they're taking, because some of these boats are getting harder to turn, but you still can. So we'll be like, okay, well, you're going this direction, you're going that direction. And so Beasley will be that potentially Bamba. And then certain other teams, like, for example, Jonathan Isaac has a significant partial guarantee but it's not until the league-wide cutdown date, so that means the Magic have time to decide. They can do yep. a number of different things there, and, and we'll see you know, after the draft and everything else. And so these, so the other part of this that's exciting is, A, you get a set of new rules, but also you think about not saying everyone's perfect, but the professionalization of front offices is that you have such incentives to have people in place, whether it's your lead decision maker or an advisor, to game out what you could potentially do. And so I think we're going to we're the league will do a much better job finding the cracks and the holes in this agreement than a few of the previous ones. And one great example of this is I mean, I don't think I ever wrote this piece. I definitely said it on a podcast years ago that like one of the remarkable elements of the not the the current CBA but the one before that when the extension system was broken was that basically none of the major market teams were a well run or B wielded cap space during that time when they had the biggest competitive advantage in modern NBA history because all of these players were hitting unrestricted free agency. And eventually, you know, the, the Nets did get KD and Kyrie that way. That was but that was under the current CBA. And I don't think there are as many front offices that are really behind. There are some who make different evaluations than I do, but I don't think there are many who just don't work the angles at all. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I know so many people that a big part of what they do is scenario planning type things. And it's not just, hey, throw together 10 trade ideas. It could be like, well, what if the cap goes here? Now, now I think we have a because of the smoothing component. And I think everybody feels pretty confident we've got a good amount of growth coming year over year. That part's a little more stable. But it used to be, all right, you know, cap could go up 10 million or it could go up 20 million. What does it look like here? You know, who who all of a sudden has cap space that didn't think they were going to? Who's now max deal is, you know, 45 million versus 42 million or those kind of things. Those things would be in there. But I, I know, you know, so many people had a big chunk of what they do is, all right, sit down and start to game it out for, you know, Team X. And it's not just their team. A lot of times it's, hey, let's think of it through the lens of, you know, these other teams and what are they facing? Because that's what you have to know to do this job well right it's it's you you have to you know it's i think of it almost akin to where right, you have all this scouting that gets done for players i both like the college international and obviously the pro level you you're almost kind of scouting cap sheets in a sense of like you know where, where what is what does it look like for them long term you know can, can we go get this guy because they have a problem like there's reports coming out today that atlanta is being told you got to get under the tax well you know there's going to be a bunch of people that are now lining up and saying all right let's start picking bargains off atlanta not necessarily bargains that's probably 
probably a bad term, but let's pick talent off of Atlanta because they they have this ultimatum of, you know, this is where you're going to be. And, and that's going to be, you know, something that's, that's always existed, but it's, it just takes on a different level of importance, you know, with this. And I thought the fun thing with the Phoenix part of this, you know, for me was there was this sense of, all right, these new cap rules are in the, under the CBA with the tax and all these restrictions, it's going to send all these teams panicked, right? There, there was a sense of they're, they're, that it's effectively a hard cap and they're all going to do this. And I think the Suns making the move that they did just kind of further reinforces there's no right or wrong way of doing this, right? They're, they're, well, there's wrong ways for sure, but, but you, you can build a roster a lot of different ways and they're taking the approach of, yeah, we're still going to go, you know, for lack of a better term, using a fantasy sports term, stars and scrubs, right? Where we have a bunch of dudes who make a whole bunch and then a lot of guys at the minimum, but we think we can make it work. I kind of have my doubts because we've seen that not go. And, you know, I know you've gone over that, those trades and in depth other places, but as have I. So it just feels like we're in a spot where, you know, let's see, but that makes it fun. You know, if everybody did it the exact same way, it'd be really boring and wouldn't be quite as much fun to watch these rosters get built. We also have more definitive information now that these new rules will not be permanent, significant deterrence for every owner and Mm -hmm. ownership. The the new CBA makes ownership less of a competitive advantage than it was before. It's still, to me, the biggest competitive advantage in the league. But because the, like, you know, the lines are just getting so much bigger, and more importantly, the team-building elements of it, where it's like, even if, you know, Balmer would use the taxpayer MLE if they're 50 50 million billion over the tax, well, you don't have it anymore. So those things are a little different, but they're still this element in place that if there if if you if you're willing to go that far over and like for how long like i think that's going to be a part of it for the warriors not only with the jordan pool trade that happened but what they do with chris paul over the next 12 months mm-hmm. because be, that that's going to be a, a key question as well like are is this a salary slot or is this a way to have gotten off of pool's salary with someone who could help you and we're not going to know the answer right now and i'm okay with that i think that there there are many who want to know all the answers right away. And I think that part of the fun of it is that you don't. And that's also a way to kind of to, to think about the draft. And it was it wasn't chalky. I mean, considering the player that I had fourth on my board went number two and no board is gospel. But we didn't see those mega powered trades. You know, really, the only two in the top 10 were smaller moves relative to draft positioning it was you know mm-hmm. six for seven and and ten for twelve with other parts that you and i both love but that happens sometimes in part because if a draft especially if a draft is more highly regarded which this one was at the top i mean obviously the spurs weren't going to do anything with number one it becomes harder to agree on compensation and valuation and all that and that was what i always saw as the the fundamental peril peril might not be the right word but difficulty of the Blazers with Scoot. I, I love Scoot Henderson, had him number two on board, thought he could have been number one pick in plenty of other years if um, a gigantic, really talented <laughs> Frenchman didn't exist. Or the more specific way, if Victor Wembanyama was four days older and had been in the 22 draft rather than the 23 draft. Sorry, Orlando. Um, and so they got this player who is, you know, would have been number one in other years. And that is great. That opens up a lot of doors. And there's no guarantee that Scoot Henderson will be a Portland Trailblazer for the next 10 years, much less the next 10 days. Like we don't, that, that is something we don't know. 
But these evaluations and the way that teams think about themselves are so important for the arc of the league. And I I think this is why I've used the term defining success a lot, but it's the idea that you need to not only know what you want to be, but you need to know what you are. And that has been a fundamental challenge. And I've connected Lillard and Beal for such a long time. And even though the Blazers have generally run better in part because Lillard is a superior player to Bradley Beal. It is the same idea of, well, okay, you are a playoff team or at least like a playoff fringe team in the Wizards case who probably won't win a, won't make an NBA Finals, much less win one. There is a completely justified branch of preference that is, that's great. Hey, you make the playoffs, you can, you know, fans can be excited, especially in the case of Lillard, you have a Hall of Fame player who has been with your franchise his entire career. You can do that. There's no there's no shame whatsoever in that. It also makes it harder to do a lot of other things. And I think the the way that Washington, though it seems like Ted Leonsis had to get dragged kicking and screaming, full credit to Michael Winger and the new front office for doing so. And now with Portland, we're just kind of all sitting there going, well, where's this going to go now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I, I went into uh, yesterday saying I said this in radio spots and podcasts, and I think I might have even written it at times. I couldn't envision a world where Damian Lillard and the number three pick, and this was before we knew it was Scoot, were going to be on the Trailblazers roster next year. It felt like that was just more of the same of – all right, we're doing it. It really felt like for the first time we had like we'd hit that inflection point of all right, we're going one way or the other. It's either going to be Dame or we're going going with the kids, and off we go. And maybe we still get there, right? But as it's it's Dame, I mean, we're already getting stuff of like Scoot and Dame have been talking, and they're looking forward to playing together. Maybe that's just lip service, and who knows? But yeah, it, it is interesting, and I think to your point of value, what becomes really hard there is if you're Portland, you you can't move off that pick because of the player especially once it firmed up like scoot might be there probably will be there whatever it was you you couldn't move off that without feeling like all right we're getting a home run trade back because that's just you're not going to get another chance at a guy like that probably you know for a while and then on the flip side of it if you're the other team you had to know you had to feel 100 percent certain uh that scoot henderson will be there which is part of why i don't think we saw a trade-up happen you know a day or so out from the draft or even earlier on draft day because there was still all that open question mark of you know was it miller is it going to be henderson at two and i and i felt like charlotte had made it pretty clear they weren't moving off their pick they were going to pick the guy they they wanted which ultimately ended up being miller but i think portland then became all right you know we're, we're in control here we could take all the trade offers but i think these teams you know maybe new orleans maybe others were like yeah but only if it's scoot and then you get so so far down the, the pathway where it's like you know what we don't really like your offers we're just going to keep them for ourselves and then we'll figure it out now to the point of you know now they, at least they have options right here over the next week or so leading up to free agency if you know damian lillard lets you know like yeah i'm kind of done like i i don't like this i don't want to do this all right well maybe you can you know, move and go in a different direction but yeah it's definitely a weird situation in a lot of ways where it feels like where are you going right and now we're we're, good, we're all still watching right the draft brought little to no clarity of what their long-term plan is and maybe that's by design for portland or maybe maybe they're maybe they're 
they're the ones who know, hey, the clarity is there. We're, we're just going to run it with these guys, and we're all waiting for something that's never going to come, but only time's going to tell us that. Right, and we don't know which side is leading to the situation we're in. And, like, I mean, one of the weird distinct possibilities of this is that Damian Lillard is potentially genuinely unsure, and... It The fun part of the great thing about the NBA is that as much as you and I and so many others can set the table, the entire league is at the whims and evaluations of a very <laughs> small number of people. Yep. And that can be Kawhi Leonard saying that the only way I'm going to go to the Clippers or what, however it happened is if Paul George is there too. And all of a sudden, OKC has the most leverage of any team in like modern NBA history to extract resources in a trade because effectively the Clippers are trading for both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard through the assets of one trade. And it could be the best player in franchise history doesn't really know what he wants or thinks that the team, you know, like, is holding on to hope that his team can compete for a championship and doesn't really want to leave, but he's maybe wrong and you don't want to convince him that he's wrong because that's an admission that your team isn't as good as you hope they are. And that's how things go sometimes. And so we don't know who's sticking it up. We don't even know necessarily that these boats are pushing in opposite directions. Like it could (laughs) be that, you know, they're, you know, they're Thelma and Louise holding each other's hands after they, as they go off what hopefully isn't a cliff. But like, we don't know. What an analogy. Portland fans are thrilled right now to hear uh, hear that. I love it. (laughs) and, And so that's how these things work out. And with Portland, what excites me most about them is I was, you know, pretty firmly on the Shaden Sharp train with the film that we got to see before he was drafted. And I thought he had an uneven, but still definitely exciting rookie year mm-hmm. on a, you know, again, evaluation on a team like Portland is always a little bit difficult because they're trying and then, you know, maybe at the very end they're not. And so for the Blazers, they I don't think they're good enough if the goal is to like again be a be an NBA finals team, be a conference finals team. I don't think they have the juice to, to make that happen. But unlike the Wizards, unlike a few of these other teardowns that have happened recently, they already have some high upside talented young guys to be a part of the next phase. And so that in no way changes the return on a Lillard trade should Lillard ever want to do it. It actually in some ways makes them more plausible to do a two timelines thing a la the failed Warriors experiment, which died definitively on Thursday with Jordan Poole and Baldwin and Ryan Rollins all getting traded to the Wizards. But that, you know, it it gives them more optionality, flexibility, and it also means in an ideal world that the pain of being in the dregs might be temporary. And, you know, if it, it, it doesn't guarantee that. I mean, it's going to take time. Every single young point guard with like one or two exceptions has significant growing pain. So even if you gave Scoot the keys and even if he becomes an all-star Hall of Fame guy, it's going to take some time. Like he's, you know, 19-year-old point guard. It's, it's not an easy road. Yep. So they can do that if they want. And yeah, I, I'm I'm excited by their future. I wonder where it's going to go. And I also see this just bizarre parallel between with the Hornets. And so the Hornets, a couple of years ago, benefited from, and you can make it from different valuations, they benefited from LaMelo Ball falling to them. And Ball has had a significantly better career than James Wiseman, obviously, and Anthony Edwards has been a very successful number one pick overall so far. 
And so when you could get a player who's a high ceiling guy at three, that's great. And there, there are lots of years where the third pick worked out better than the two. To then potentially partially informed by the success of Lamelo, make almost the exact same mistake that led to you getting that guy in the first place is just it's not only time is a flat circle. It's like time is a flat circle. That's like two years long. Yeah, it, it is. It is kind of funny that you that. Yeah, they're right in that same same spot. And it's it's interesting because as I went through, you know, I've been a lot of people ask you, oh, you know, what about this? What about that? And, you know, all these, uh, you know, players and everybody's asking you leading up, you know, what, what do you like? And I was like, I like Scoot Henderson. I'm like, oh, so you don't like Brandon Miller. And it's like, well, that's not that's not what that means. I just like Scoot Henderson more. And and. It's tough. It, it, I, I just, I guess it comes down to almost philosophy around, you know, for me, it's in basketball because, you know, you're talking about a sport where only five guys are on the court at a time for your team. If you have one of the best five you're around, you're probably going to be good almost kind of no matter what. And I look at it as that's why I'm always going for the better guy and fit will figure itself out down the line, right? And there's no guarantee. I mean, things change so fast in this league. You know, yeah, I'm sure right now the Hornets feel like LaMelo Ball will be there for a decade. Will he be? History tells me probably not, right? He'll probably be gone in, you know, two or three years. And, he'll, you know, even if he's in to a max extension or whatever, it's just how things go in this league. So that's why I struggle to pass up on, you know, the guy I thought was a better player. Now, their internal evaluation was Brandon Miller's the better player or they're exactly equal in our minds. So then we're going to break the tie with fit. Okay, I guess. But yeah, it is it is a very weird spot. Also, it's just it almost feels like picking two in the NBA is just like it just seems to never work out. Um, you know, there's definitely, you know, obviously there's times when it has, but it just feels like there's times when it's like, man, this is just not the spot to be in. It is is the two spot in the draft. And you know, we're we're gonna find out. I you know, I think it was I think it was a really fun, you know, draft because of some of the unknown quantities in this. And it always feels like we've trended just as guys come in with you know one year of experience or even some of these guys you know no college level experience and the G League Ignite is changing how we have to evaluate and uh, overtime elite and all that but it felt like there were after one Binyama it felt like even though I liked Scoot Anderson I you know I was super high on Cam Whitmore who fell it sounds like due to health reasons I I I kind of liked him I really liked Taylor Hendricks a lot who won a little later the Thompson twins are I, I get scared of guys who can't shoot and I'm worried that they're never going to really shoot. Um, but it was one of these drafts where if, if you looked at it, it was like, all right, one Binyama feels great. And then everybody else, it's like, here is, you know, four things I like. And here are, you know, 15 questions that I have about every guy. And that makes it just such a, you know, interesting, fun process where so much of this is going to be eye of the beholder, right? We, we, we really liked the guy and, you know, felt like he was there. We saw a couple trades where it's like, we got to get up to the spot to make sure we get the player that that made, you know, that part of it kind of fun. So it, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, we we're not going to know obviously for years, you know, on some of these guys, but it, it was it, it was an interesting draft in that respect of you know what teams valued and where they put their belief in certain guys as they picked them. A lot of this year's draft to me was what what attributes do you value and what flaws do you tolerate? Mm-hmm. And so Whitmore, I mean, it, I'm guessing that the medical is a big part of why he fell. Usually when a player is you know, mocked in a certain area and then falls. It's it's something like that, MPJ. There are numerous examples yeah. over the past. And so you kind of take that out. But 
can bring that up with, you know, if you wanted to go to, like, Bilal Koulibaly or Anthony Black or the Thompson Twins or anything else. It's like, so all of them have some very significant strengths and have some very significant weaknesses. Do you think you could coach those up? Do you think that the player is going to work on it? Do you think that they're, you know, that, that these are solvable issues for you? And sometimes that's coaching staffs front offices deluding themselves. Sometimes it's being right. And it's also worth remembering that running the, you know, that putting a player in a different situation, even just the same situation, if you theoretically got, you know, 10,000 simulations at it, it's going to produce different results. Nothing is definitive or like definitive in anything. Mm -hmm. But those decisions are sometimes even harder to make and then to eventually like live with where it's the idea of, you know, okay, so we did this. And so, there will always be teams that get them more right and and more wrong than others and i'm not i'm definitely not 100% on those but generally speaking the combination of extreme athleticism and high feel is something that i believe in i think that players who are really athletic who have requisite positional size especially if that positional size like the thompson twins is you know wings which are extremely valuable in the league whether they're starters or reserves that Generally speaking, players like that work out. Now, there are players who have, you know, those two basic attributes, you know, athleticism and feel, who don't. Hello, Ben Simmons. Um, <laughs> but it's a bet I'm willing to make. And so the Thompson Twins going four and five, you know, one of one of those I agreed with. I had Thompson, fit, I had Asar fifth on my board. I actually had a men third. And so they could could things could have gone slightly differently there. But that is only one interpretation of things. And it's also, you know, every player is different, even if you're coalescing them to these or boiling things down to these basic skills. That isn't, you know, that doesn't say like every shoot first guy is the same. Hawkins and Grady Dick aren't the same player or even that, these, you know, these direct parallels. And so I I liked this draft for that reason. And like, I mean, one of the other really fun distinctions with that ended up with the Indiana Pacers. Last week's Real Jam Radio was with Caitlin Cooper and we talked a lot, you know, it, we didn't know that this was going to be the context, but we talked about the differences between Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks. Lo and behold, that is basically the exact decision that the Pacers <laughs> yeah. made on draft night. Yeah, because, they, yeah, they, they were sitting, yeah, and they went back-to-back, eight, eight, nine. I thought this draft was really interesting, too, in that as it kind of came into focus, it felt like, all right, there are not a lot of centers, especially draft, first round draftable centers. There, there just weren't very many. There also were not all that many kind of more true point guards, right? right. Like, like, like that. And it was, then I had someone say, oh, so it's super wing heavy. And I said, well, what's a little weird is it's like a lot of combo guards who aren't necessarily really win. They're more one twos. And then there's a lot of combo forwards who are like three fours. And there's, there are some definitely guys who were the more traditional two, three wing, but it felt like we had a bunch of guards and a bunch of forwards, but not necessarily the, you know, the ends, right? The centers and, and point guards. And that made it, you know, that's why to me, that was even more of the, all right, you got to really get in there and evaluate 
you know, with these teams of, you know, what, what is it you need? Right. And, and like, like a good example, I think Orlando going for Jet Howard felt like they were, are we going to add shooting to, to this roster? And he, we, we think everything else is either explainable why it wasn't as good or it's improvable on why it wasn't as good. So we're going to go to a point where, all right, we, we, we feel good about making this pick, even though there were, you know, five other guys that were similar in size and position and all that that they could have gone with instead. And that that makes it really interesting as opposed to a lot of years where it is more balanced positionally. Then you start seeing, I think, some teams are like, oh, well, I get it. They took this guy because, you know, they they felt like they needed a center. So they went with a center, um, especially as you get you know out of the top you know half of the lottery. Then teams might draft a little bit more for fit. So that 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 didn't as, as much exist here. Like like I look at the the maybe the most surprising pick of all to me because it seemed like he came out of nowhere was uh case and wallace to to the thunder because it was like they have a lot of guards but if you know they obviously felt like that's our guy we're trading up to get him and they, they went and got him and now we're gonna see you know we're, we're gonna see how how do they envision that how do they envision him fitting with che gildas alexander and josh giddy because you know you're, you're starting to make your decisions obviously around sga because he's so good and then giddy should be in my opinion a big part of your decision making process and now you added a, a third guard to that mix and those other two guys have enough size that it should be fine and it should work but it was just very interesting because that's not where I expected them to go. I thought, all right, they're going to go with with a, a little, little bit more of a shooter uh, with some size. They, they don't have a lot of true, uh, you know, four sized players. You know, maybe they go with you know somebody, especially as like Cam Whitmore slipped, or you know, if uh, I thought Taylor Hendricks would have been wonderful there if he he, he dropped a little bit and he, he didn't. But it just, yeah, it was really interesting to watch that part of this draft play out because it was so. so so similar in in the position overlaps between so many of these top prospects. I I thought that made for a really kind of fun night. It'll make for it to be really fun over the next three, four, five years as we evaluate. Like, oh man, they could add this guy just you know one pick later. He went and, and say like, like Grady Dick against Jordan Hawkins. You know, thirteen and fourteen picks. Like you know, if Jordan Hawkins ends up great, we may be looking at it like man, Toronto missed. They sh- they should have won with him if Grady Dick doesn't develop the way they like. So I. It, it was a really fascinating draft in that, uh, you know, from that kind of you know, lens and standpoint. I loved your point about the kind of positional nuances of this, and it led to one of the more surprising moments at the time for me, but then something that made sense with further context was Bilal Koulibaly, where mm-hmm. Bilal Koulibaly, I, I saw one video play twice in France at the beginning of the French season and Koulibaly, because I'm like, how did I not notice this guy? Why did I not appreciate him? In those two games, he played a total of eight minutes. Like, he just wasn't a part of the rotation, became yep. a bigger part later on, you know, played for, you know, like played, had a different role with Mets 92 in the beginning of the year. And part of the sales appeal there, you know, a heavily former Thunder front office is he was one of the few players in this draft that has like that real kind of like three size like physical proportions and the Thompson twins do as well. They ended up having longer wingspans than some thought at the combine. And so if you are a front office and working from a, you know, more of a blank canvas as the wizards now by their own creation have made, well, then rolling the dice on a few kind of wing sized guys makes a lot of sense because 
not only do they take some time to develop and have kind of a weird hit rate, but part of why I love six, seven, six, eight players in the modern NBA is that there is a place for them really wherever your roster goes. And you know the Celtics very well. The Celtics are a prototypical example of this, even if they don't have as much overall six, seven player depth as they used to have. Because if they're awesome, then you could start them together. They can fill a bunch of different offensive roles. But if you end up with an embarrassment of riches, which almost never happens, then you need those guys in the reserves. You need to balance your rotation. Whereas if you have an overlap of seven foot two guys or of six foot guys, you kind of can't square it. Like you, there isn't really a good way to do it. So maybe if th- if you get into the good problems and you could trade one of those guys, or you have a really strong backup for a year or two, and then eventually you get you have to make a decision. But with six seven players, you can slide them around enough and put them in enough circumstances that it can work. And so with Kulbali, I can't I can't say that I know him too much personally, but the theory of the case, if that's something that you wanted to have in your rotation, well, it's like there weren't that many guys who really did that in this class. No, they, 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 you're absolutely right. There, there's, again, I feel like there's, there's some positional versatility, but it really feels like it's kind of more in the traditional sense of, okay, you're a forward or you're a guard, you know, and that, that, that seems to be the way it goes. And I think that Koulibaly pick, what fascinates me with Washington is, right, this is a complete, we're, we're, you know, as much as you possibly can in the NBA, and there's no way to do it really fully, but they're starting over. Right. They are starting from scratch as much as you can. And I love the idea of when you're starting from scratch right at the beginning, like let's make our home run pick because Michael Winger and Will Dawkins and that group know and if this one doesn't work out, at least we've got time to figure it out after. We, 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 we're, we're still going to get a few bites at the apple here. Probably pretty pretty uh, high up in the draft bites of that apple, if, you know, if we're being honest, over the next couple of years. So, yeah, well, why, why not? If you said that's our guy and we're going to go – it was a little interesting to me that they felt they needed to to trade up one spot to you know go you know all right we got to give you two uh, future second round picks with this and I believe on the reporting on it's two uh, two that are about five years down the line so they may end up being pretty good second round picks I mean maybe the Pacers pulled the Sam Hinkie on this one and were like oh we know you want them we'll just take them and force you to trade up and that that'll be how it'll go down maybe that's the way it played out. As an aside, I kind of wondered if someone was going to diff Charlotte might have pulled that if they knew someone was trading up for Scoot was going to be like, no, you need to trade with us, um, which obviously didn't happen. But yeah, it's I, I love that you know kind of uh, you know upside swing for Washington as you're starting over because now's the time, right? You're I always think the time to to really you know, swing for the fences with a draft pick is when you're starting completely fresh or it's we've got everything kind of in place. This is just you know an extra guy for developmental purposes let's go for the guy who could really pop and have a ton of upside it's it's there's a lot of other teams that we're picking around that same area where he's like no you're a little more you better get it right because because if you don't you 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 potentially could be in a little bit of trouble here so i i love that you know uh, shot for washington we've already gone beyond the time that I asked you to do you and I could probably do another four or five hours on this if we wanted to and if we you know we wait a couple more days of transactions we could do another four to five hours so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll end it with this question for you is what is if there is something uh, an element of the last week that we haven't discussed that you want to kind of throw out there to listeners either something to keep an eye on or something that already happened that's resonating with you yeah not nothing that's our 
already happened beyond the I, I think in general there's a feel of the nuggets are good but the nuggets are not the warriors of you know five years ago where it was well you got to get lucky to to beat them right you, you're gonna have to have some luck and there's there's also not a lebron standing in the way on the other side of the conference where it's like well just pencil or pen his team into the finals and i think that's what's driving some of these moves and i think we'll continue as we see what develops here over the next couple weeks as free agency really gets up and running i think there's gonna be more big stuff to come because i think there's a whole lot of teams that are basically saying why not us right if denver can do it we can do it too and we'll find out is that you know is that foolhardy or you know, are they you know underrating how easy and i'm very much putting easy in air quotes it was for denver to win a championship and build a title uh roster and that's going to be really fun to watch play out because i think sometimes teams get in their own heads in a sense of yeah we can do this too it's almost an irrational confidence that that occasionally leads to weird decisions and then tied into that just how we're team's going to continue to navigate you know this new world with the new cba and the penalties it's going to be really fun to see which teams are you know in effect going to let it be a barrier and which teams are like nope don't care we'll we'll blow through it and is that a long-term thing or is that we'll blow through it right now and then then when it all kicks in a year from now that's when we get serious about it but it's i think we're going to see a big time load up uh this summer where more big trades to come maybe a couple of these free agents that are some of the better ones do actually change teams it's it's gonna be really fun to watch this play out last team i'll leave one last quick thought i can't wait to see what the kings are gonna do i I had i had two teams that i wanted to bring up the kings were the first of those i love it yeah they they just putting themselves in that position to have that much cap space gives them a lot of options i i wrote about it today for spot track where it was you do do is some of that reserved to do an extend or renegotiation and extension with sabonis and then you extend them later off that number if 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 you can get there or you know you you play it out that way you know, where is that going or is it to hey we 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 think player x and i don't begin to presume to know who that player is but player x is the guy we go after i'm curious who's your other team the miami heat yeah and yep. miami no team has pulled more rabbits out of more hats than them <laughs> yeah financially but it's not just the damian lillard stuff it's that they're over the tax without two extremely important players for them gabe vincent and max Struess, and in a normal circumstance, I would say it's impossible for them to kind of keep this quality level, and it sucks that Oladipo got hurt again, and he has that player option, and you know, so they're, they're, everything gets hard. But Andy and Pat Riley have made this before, and so you just wonder not only how are they going to do this, but also like how much information do they have right now? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. Struess, you know capable defender, good shooter, even if his shot hasn't been nails every single year of his career. Find me somebody who does, and I'll find you somebody who's going to make more than 15, 20 million this year. And and Vincent can help out a lot of different teams. And to, to have those two guys hit unrestricted, not restricted, unrestricted free agency at a time that you don't really have at the moment the financial capacity to retain them, like it, 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 if it were any other franchise, I would be like, oh, they're in for a world of hurt. They just made the finals and they had this awesome run, and now they're going to lose what made you know they're going to lose a part of what made them so great, other than the obvious brilliance of of Spo, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. But maybe <laughs> it's plausible. It's within the realm, and so yep. how all of that works for them 
is a key question for me. And yeah, I mean, so the other part of it, I guess I'll, I'll throw one more out there since you mentioned the Kings, which is these older free agents that have full bird rights on a team that really needs them. Chris Middleton, James Harden to an extent, Draymond Green. Not necessarily is there a deal in place. That's less interesting to me than the, is this going to form? Is this the idea that you opt out and you exchange a higher, maybe even a higher salary for for 23-24 for more security over more years? And that these teams need those players around and you can do that. Or is this something different? Is it, you know, and, and I'm going to... Point the arrow to Draymond and potentially the Kings because Vivek Ranadive used to be a minority owner of the Warriors, has consistently shown a deep affinity for particularly the Warriors when he was a minority owner. So like those type players and Draymond is the best of those guys to become available. They also made a run at Iguodala years ago and numerous other guys. So like owners are part of this. Draymond is a part of this. But I think... I think those guys are coming back, especially with the kind of the idea that the Rockets aren't going to go as hard after hard and they're not going to do the like basically everything they can offer, which I fully support. I think that that would be way, way too aggressive for the Rockets to do. So is that the story? Are, are, do we have the tea leaves? Are we reading them correctly? Or is this something fundamentally different? And are we losing, if that happens, are we losing a title contender? Because if Chris Middleton leaves the Bucks, if Draymond leaves the Warriors, and honestly, even though I'm not the biggest fan of his fit, if Harden leaves the Sixers, those teams are probably not relevant championship teams in 2024. I completely agree with that. Because yeah, because you're sitting in a point then where it is, uh, you can't replace them. And it's it's a it's like an older player version of the bird rights trap in a way, you know, where it's it's not the traditional type way you think of it because of the situation with those guys. But but I'm with you on that where it does feel like you you're in a spot where it's like, all right, well, we can't really lose them. But you also got to be very careful because you don't want that going completely sideways on you. If you go too far with the new contract, you know, whether that be you know in terms of years, which we're starting to run into, I know at least for Harden, we're running into the over 38 rule. I think we're probably getting close with with Draymond and Middleton. I don't think they're quite there yet. Um, but yeah, but but there, there's there's just all sorts of limiting factors, and uh, those are you know at least in Milwaukee's case, that's a franchise that they've they've been very expensive in recent years. Are they willing to continue to be expensive by locking in because they've got some other decisions to make uh, coming up here this summer? Brooke Lopez, uh, you know, you're only a year out from having to decide on Drew Holiday too. So so it, it really is fascinating to see. I think you know I I think there's stuff in play. I love that you called out Miami too. I'll just, I'll end this. My last thought on that, that is, I feel like, and I have no way of proving this. I feel like Pat Riley says, all right, here's what we're going to do. And then looks at Andy Ellsberg and says, figure it out. And then that's it. Like it's, and then it just gets figured out. Like I'm with you. There's no team in the league. I trust more to say, all right, we got to get this done. How are we going to make it happen? And then some, some way they do every time it feels like they make it happen. So I'm very curious to see is, you know, is this again, one of those times where they're going to make it happen, but this is going to be a really fun summer. I had a lot of people telling me around the league, they felt like this was one of those big reset summers that we get every four, five, six years in the league. And it feels like it had been time for it. And it feels like that's where we're headed with some of the stuff we've already seen and what we may see coming down the line. 
It's going to be a blast. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Keith Smith for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at Track. You can listen to the front office show, which he does. And you can also follow Keith on Twitter, if you don't already, at KeithSmithNBA, K-E-I-T-H-S-M-I-T-H-N-B-A. Love having him on. I've known Keith for years. We've worked together at Real GM. And, you know, I, I and I've appreciated his grind so much over these years and perspective enthusiasm on the offseason in particular, but on transactions and everything else. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode for Real GM Radio in particular. That is extremely useful because it's never going to come out on a specific day of the week. It's my availability, guests availability. And so whatever podcast player you use, you can put it in there. And if you have any problems with a podcast player, please let me know. I'll give my feedback stuff later on um, because that's not something I can track, but I can pass it along to the people who can fix it. And we've had that before with various different things. So really do appreciate that. You can also help other people find the show. So that can be leaving a rating and review in the podcast player you're choosing. That can be word of mouth, social media, single episode, the show in general. Really do appreciate that. But the most important thing you can do for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and you can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Love having them on board. You can also check out my other work. There aren't any games anymore, so Nate and I aren't doing the playback broadcast, but we, of course, are doing a ton of Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. Did a draft episode that had to have ended up well over two hours. We recorded for two and a half. And off-season previews of every team. If maybe your team drafted somebody you weren't as familiar with, we did extremely detailed prospect breakdowns on 10 players. And we'll, you know, we'll catch up on a lot of these guys in Summer League. And like Nate and I... We, we go through this a lot, and so there'll be a lot there. Also, written work at The Athletic, some of it in a collaborative form with other writers, some of it being where I see the offseason going and everything else. And of course, Real Jam Radio and everything else. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, the way to get it to me is via email. That is NBA at gmail.com. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. It is, I send them to a separate inbox. I read them. I am not always the greatest at replying or replying quickly, especially during the busier times in my work and personal schedule, which, of course, this qualifies as. But I will read it, and that's very important to me. That's why I call it feedback rather than like opening a conversation or something like that. But that is enough meandering for me right now. I will thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.